All right, so here's what we're going to do with the rest of our time this morning. We're in a little bit of a crunch, um, um, and I'm really excited for these baptisms to follow the service. But what, what I've been doing lately and what I want to continue to do over the next few weeks and months is walk through some of the ancient stories in the Bible, especially those in the early books of, of or the, the early chapters of Genesis, which represent some of the most primitive stories in all of the Bible and really in all of literature. And I think that sometimes we tend to get hung up on both Christians and, um, and people who aren't Christians. Uh, are these stories historically accurate? And so when we ask that question and we come to terms with our faith answer, because either in faith you believe that they are or in faith you believe that they are not, in some ways it's not really going to ever be provable, but we come to our answer as to whether or not these stories are true and accurate, and then we say, okay, they are or they aren't, and let that be that. When what I think we can do is evaluate these stories, regardless of where you are with that, whether you think that they are um, accurate or whether you think that they are myth, I think that we can find some concepts buried in these stories and appreciate what they introduced to us about God. So it's like this. Um, the ancient Israelites were a tribe. The Bible says they were, history says they were, they were a tribe. And in that day and time, uh, the world was made up. It was composed of, of tribes, and tribes were extended family units. And these family units would make alliances with each other and create the earliest forms of countries and governments and cultures and people. So there's a moment in Genesis 12 when God looks to a man named Abram, who would later become Abraham, and he says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless, the, bless you, and you will be a blessing to everybody. That's the gist of that. Now, what the ancient tribes would have heard with this story, the Israelites, as they talked about this story around their campfires and as they walked along the roads with their children, is they would, they would have understood this as God said, saying, you, Abram, go create a new tribe. So this was not just a guy who left, like in the sense that we might decide to pick up and go across the country to start a new business or to relocate. This was, this was their way of understanding that God called Abram to start their tribe. And then through their tribe, the Israelites, he was going to bless the world. Now, this was in the context of other tribes who existed for self-preservation and achievement and expansion and conquest. This tribe presented a counter-narrative to that other way of life. You are going to bless the world and everybody's going to win through you. So this is very, very significant because I've come to believe that the Bible is really a collection of writings about a different way to approach life, the divine, the God way, the kingdom of God approach to life. And that is, <clears throat> you can either approach life like everybody else, self-preservation, security, achievement, conquest, keeping score, or there is this God flow to life, the kingdom of God, Jesus called it, or the kingdom of heaven, serving loving, sharing, generosity, connecting with each other, valuing everybody, everybody wins kind of a thing where we 
bless the world. And so what we're going to see is, I think, these stories, and, and I know that some of you are going to connect with these stories in the literal sense. I mean, I have no problem believing the, the historical validity of these stories. But for some of you, they're, they're myths. But let's look at those myths, if you believe they're myths, for what they contribute to our understanding of the world. And then maybe you can take a step to saying, okay, they're still from God. And there are still things from these stories that we can benefit from. So we talked about the creation story last week. And we said that as this ancient tribe told this story of a God who creates the world in six days over and over and over, what they're getting into their culture as a tribe is an understanding that this creation was intentional, that it was on purpose, and that people are made in the image of God. And this was a radically new idea. Because there were other creation accounts that other tribes had around the Israelites that talked about the world as a kind of byproduct of, of the gods and their violence. But this was a God who, this was, the divine was one God who systematically and with joy created this world for humans and humans were made in his own image, which would have changed the way all of those children generation after generation after generation would have looked at the world around them as opposed to their pagan tribal people who thought of this as a byproduct, who didn't understand um, creation as an act of a loving God and didn't understand people as images of God. So you can see the building blocks just from that one story that they would have told. Now, let's talk about the second half of the creation story. I'm going to read to you from Genesis chapter 2. <clears throat> this follows day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6, which was the creation of you know, the sky, the sun and the moon, um, vegetation, animals, and God's blessing of those things. Now we get to this. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So that's a very kind of primitive end to a primitive story. But this story told this ancient tribe that there were seven days in a week and that the seventh day of the week was holy. Now, scholars and archaeologists agree uh, they found nothing else in, cre in, in, in their studies in all of history that would indicate that any people group thought about a specific time as holy. There were holy places, holy things, holy actions, holy people, but not a specific time. So what this creation account introduced to these ancient people is the idea of looking at the week as a progression toward a separate day that in and of itself, the time in that day was holy. It stood apart from all the other times of the week, and so there was a recurring holy set-apart time. We'll talk about why that's significant in a minute. Let's talk about the weekend. 
Anybody here like weekends? I like weekends. I enjoy weekends. I'm glad that we have weekends. The weekend is given to the world through this creation account. Historians would say that this creation account was the vehicle that introduced the cultural thinking or consciousness to the weekend. So I think that anybody who truly has no respect for the creation account shouldn't be allowed to have weekends. Like they don't have to believe in a seven-day creation of the earth or young earth or anything like that. But if you have no respect for the creation account, you shouldn't be allowed to benefit from weekends because it comes to us from this ancient story. This was a radically new idea. And when you think about the implications, I think they're staggering that this, this old, old, old tribe of people was given this blessing from God to think in terms of having a weekend to enjoy. So the Old Testament, this amazing collection of stories that were told orally over the centuries, throughout the generations, it's filled with this unique concept of a weekend, a period of rest and reflection. You work, then you stop and reflect. You work, then you stop and reflect. In this creation story, humans are elevated above creation, which was a unique way to think about things. In a lot of other creation stories, humans are the same as, interwoven with creations. In this creation story, you are as a human above creation, and you are image of God's status. You are not just working machines. You exist outside of creation and set aside time then to stop and reflect on your work and on creation, on the divine, on God, on your relationship with God, on your relationship with other people. This was a unique flow of the week given to this tribe. Very significant, I think, because of that. You could say that in the first two chapters of the Bible, we get a creation story about a blessed creation given to us. We're told that our bodies are reflections of the image of God, and then we're given the weekend. So it's a pretty good first two chapters of Scripture for us. Like, this is good news. When you're talking about forming a collective human understanding of who we are and who God is, this is an amazing two chapters that we get. Very different than the other kinds of creation stories that were out there. Let me talk a little bit about rest and reflection. Studies are showing right now, like this is in a lot of self-help books and business productivity tools and things like that, the importance of a day of rest in the week. I think that's amazing that we're just now catching up scientifically, sociologically, whatever, psychologically, with this concept that if you rest one in every seven days, it does amazing things for your body and for your life. Like we are just now getting to where God was back then, prescribing that for those ancient people. Remember it says that God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. 
I want to talk about two really important implications from that. First of all, and I overlook this all the time, I think it's really, really important that we learn to see the Sabbath day as a part of creation. God made it holy. So we, we can observe the trees, we can observe the sky and the stars and things like that. But I don't know that enough people, and I'm certainly in this category, I fail to see a Sabbath day as something that God created and set apart within his creation. And just like those other processes and elements are still the same, the sun still does its thing, um, reproduction within vegetation and animals and people still does its thing. Those systems are all still working. There haven't been any new elements introduced into creation. I don't think there's any reason for us to believe that this Sabbath that God created should be seen any differently. This was his gift. He made it. It's a part of creation, and it continues to occur. Whether we know it or not, whether we observe it or not, now, I want to read to you a couple other scriptures really quick, but I'd like for you to, to reflect on beforehand so that this is in the back of your mind when we read this. This is a gift. It's a whole different way to look at the world. Do you have anything like this at work in your life? a true Sabbath, a true time that is set apart for rest and reflection? Or is it just work, 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 task, 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 task? Is there anything set apart? And by set apart, I, doesn't, I don't mean occasionally you have time that hasn't been filled so you can rest. I'm talking about any kind of protective, sacred, set-apart time that you know ahead of time, work or gaining ground doesn't get scheduled for this time. It might look like this. It might look like, because you might say, you might say, yeah, church, this is my Sabbath. This is my protected time. But here's the problem. It's a really good start. But Sabbath in the Bible is a one in seven ratio. One day out of seven, one hour out of seven then, Okay, that's a one, it's a one in seven ratio. Church, this one hour, is a one in 168 ratio of the week. So we probably need to maybe start with church, but then think about expanding it. Here's what it might look like. And I'm not saying I do this every week because I certainly don't. I'm not very good at this. Okay, I'm up here telling you this because it fits in the flow and it's important, but I'm working at it just as hard as anybody else, and I pretty miserable and embarrassed by how I do with this, okay? But it might look like this. 3 o'clock on Saturday to 3, to 3 p.m. on Saturday to 3 p.m. on Sunday. That's a 24-hour period that you set aside in your calendar and protect it. Treat it like a snow day or like a rain out to where nothing gets scheduled and all of a sudden you're free. And you're free to invest in a relationship with God, to read scripture, to go to church, to have coffee with friends, to spend time with family, to spend time in reflection. And you know that when three o'clock hits on Saturday, boom, it's free time. We're not scheduling work. We're not scheduling mulch. We're not free time for 24 hours. And I think the benefits 
are going to be exponential in your life. And when I do protect things like that, it always makes a difference. Now, a couple more scriptures, because I want you to see that this was a part of the lifeblood of Jewish life in the Old Testament, and therefore would have been in Jewish routine, or in Jesus' routine as well. Jesus, incidentally, says that the Sabbath was created for man. So this is ultimately a good creation from God. This is one of the Ten Commandments. It's in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days a week you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Then we're going to look three chapters later. Not only was this a day thing, it was also a year thing. This is how serious, serious, this is how serious the rhythm of Sabbath and the concept of Sabbath was in Jewish life. For six years, you are to sow in your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. In other words, give the land even, the land, a Sabbath. Then the poor among your people may get food from it. The wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyards and your olive grove. Six days... You do your work, but on the seventh day, do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. So there's this concept that's important to God from the start, that he wants to incorporate, that, that he tells his tribe was built right into creation itself of the refreshment that comes from resting, of the trust that is built from resting. It's like God knows that we as human beings will, will rely on productivity for security and will rely on busyness to like medicate and numb ourselves through life if we don't decide up front that there's a time that needs to be protected. And sometimes, and God says, you give the people permission, whether it be your children or your family or your workers or your animals, you have to grant permission sometime for Sabbath. But maybe we need to agree as families and, and, and as, as individuals that we are going to give ourselves permission to honor God and his advice for us and create these sacred rhythms of rest and reflection. You guys can come on up. We're going to do one more song. And during the song, I want you to just think about this. As you, as you think about and contemplate um, the implications of, of Sabbath in your own life, remember, in all likeliness, in all likeliness, God didn't need the rest, right? I mean, if God is able to create all of this, he didn't need the rest, this was an example for us about what it means to be made in the image of God, the sacredness of rest 
and reflection. Let's pray. Father, please help us to be still, to turn it all off, to shut it all down, and to find you in the stillness and find relationship with you and relationship with each other in sacred time, in holy time, in time that's set apart for that. Thank you for loving us enough to calling us above your creation and above productivity and into our identity as human beings and help us to just be. In Jesus' name, amen.